You're listening to a recent Abbey Theatre talk. You can get more information on future talks in the series by visiting www.abbeytheatre.ie. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Abbey Theatre. For this, a, a very special edition of the Rice Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. And as you, some of you may know, the spiel goes that I am... Your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer at Rise. I am a 16-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. So uh, I know that some of the ladies have to go and get out of corsets and stuff, so we won't have all of us to begin with, but they will be joining in due course. So I'd like to welcome out now any of the gentlemen who are ready to join us from either side. And uh, if anyone wants to bring me out a pint, that would be absolutely awesome. It's great, it's like a Dubliner's gig. Park yourselves. Yes. Are we doing some of the girls? I, I wasn't joking, but someone get me my Guinness? <laughs> yeah, come on through. Oh, no, there's a letter there. Yeah, excellent. Clem Ward. Um, grab, grab some mics, gang. Oh, jeez, there's loads of girls. Deadly. Marty, will you grab that? Excellent. So, just so you're ready to rock. Uh, right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what we'll do is, I, I, I know it's late, uh, and I know people have last bus situations and all kinds of stuff like that, so what we'll do is we'll keep it pretty tight to about 20 minutes, get you out of here at 11 o'clock, and, uh, and we'll all have to crack. On a serious note, will someone please bring me out my pint of Guinness? Uh, <laughs> okay, so look, well, let's, let's kick off. What I did every week on the podcast was to ask people, why acting? Why get into the theatre in the first place? So let's throw that out to uh, anybody who happens to be holding a microphone, Marty Ray. Uh, why acting, Marty? Where did it start for you? Um, uh, I didn't start until I was about 16. Um, and it was because I did a play at school. And everyone told me that I was good. <laughs> did, they, did they actually see it? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I just I started doing it from then. Okay, very interesting. Yes. Um, who, who has a mic? Oh, God bless you, Stephen Swift. Thank you very much. Um, who, anybody else over this side want to talk about how and why acting for them? I see Ian Lloyd-Anderson is holding the microphone. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it's a similar thing where I did play in school and uh, I really got on quite well and I loved it. And then when I kind of got over the thing of thinking I was too cool to do acting, particularly in school, uh, I thought maybe I'll have a go at making a career of it. And uh, it's just about working out, so there you go. <laughs> Uh, just so I, for my own sake, as we look around, how many of us would have gone through some kind of formal drama school situation and how many of us just kind of put the head down and went straight into the business and hoped it all worked out? Did most of us go through some kind of formal training? Yeah. Almost everybody. Wow, that's really interesting. Because it's usually much closer to 50-50. Mr. Kirwan, tell us about your time in training. <laughs> uh, use my real voice because I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, training training's quite tough. Uh, you sometimes think when you go into training that you know less when you come out the other side of it than you did going in. Um, I went into training when I was 18, and I don't know necessarily if I had enough life experience uh, to become an actor, so I think it's always a good thing for any kind of young person to go into college when they've lived a little. So, um, yeah, so a lot of kind of things were learned outside. About 60% of all the things they teach you in drama school have no practical application, you know, like stand in the corner and be the curtain. Uh, That's an important life skill, guys, if nothing else. Let's be fair. Give me a representation of the colour blue, uh, you know, things like that. So, well, you know, no, 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 acting training, go do it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's made you the man you are today. Um, Well, then, look, as we we look around, anybody want to take this one? What, for you guys, is good acting? What, what are you looking for in a scene partner, really, I guess? What, what, what's, what do you need to have someone light up around you? Mr. McGann. Someone that looks you in the eye 
and tells you the truth. Is it as simple as that? Simple as that. Claire does that. Like she's embarrassing, isn't it? No, I like that. Apparently, Jimmy Cagney, they used to say that about Jimmy Cagney, didn't they? He looks in the eye, he likes a fellow, you know, just looks him in the eye and tells him the truth. I like that. And then, I suppose the rest is what you're told to do. Right. That's the director's job, I suppose. But, um, yeah. No, no. <laughs> what? No, it's good. I like it. <laughs> I was going to say that I hated that idea. <laughs> that I love when they close their eyes and just wait for me to finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down, slightly downstage of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, good, good down there, yeah. Who else down here? Who has a mic? Ali White, you can tell us about what, what For you, what's good acting? What's, what, what are you looking for in a scene partner? In a scene partner? Yeah. I don't know, Emmett, are you my scene partner? I yeah, suppose yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, a bit of truth helps, of course, but I, timing is good. The rhythm of lines and the timing and when you get it right and you, it just, it's like a little bitching of, on the drums or whatever. And it's, yeah. it's like good music or good punchlines, good timing. And I love that. Well, people often talk about, in Irish theatre, obviously the old days of the Abbey Company are behind us. Uh, there's a, a perception out there that it, it's not affordable to have a full-time rep company here anymore. I would debate that, but that's my own personal opinion. Um, but people say that there's kind of an, an un, unsubsidised uh, ensemble in Dublin due to the nature that we all work together so often um, because it's kind of a, a relatively small theatre community here. Would anybody else have any thoughts on that, the idea that there is kind of an informal ensemble in Dublin anyway because we all get to work together so often. But I don't know if I absolutely agree with that. Excellent, go on. Well, I've worked in a couple of cities. I've lived and worked in a couple of cities. I've lived in Glasgow and Edinburgh and London. And I think the scene here is kind of middle ground because it's not so small as Scotland or Glasgow and Edinburgh that it can actually... Um, give quite a lot of actors uh, a, a living through theatre. Right. And I've lived here and worked here for 14 years, and there's still loads of actors I haven't worked with. Really? Yeah. And not just the kind of new ones coming through, but kind of the established people knocking around? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've worked, I've worked a lot with some, a lot of the same people, but mm. I always am working with new people, always. That's so, which I think is very healthy. I think it's a very, very healthy scene here. I don't think it's... Um... No, I, I think that's interesting, because actually one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I, although I know everybody in the cast, most of you personally, some not until I met them this time, but it's the first time I've actually worked with most of the people in the cast, yeah. which for a cast yeah. so large, yeah. Yeah. and for somebody who's been in the business for a million years, that, that's quite <laughs> unusual. So yeah. I wanted to be in a rehearsal room with people I'd never worked with yeah. before, young and, and my age, I so that was interesting. There and also go. because so many young Irish actors are going over to London to, to study as well and coming back, there's always kind of fresh blood. Well, let, let's talk about that thing of, of heading abroad because both Mr. Killian Burke... Oh. Hey! The magic of showbiz, ladies and gentlemen. The magic of showbiz. Um, to... To Mr... Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Killian Burke, uh, and indeed Claire, you um, you chose to go over and train in England. Tell me a little bit about about the decision of you know the debate of whether you would stay here and train or whether you might head over there. Oh yeah, thanks. Uh, I 
I don't know what the debate is. I just know that I didn't I didn't get in, get anywhere over here for a while. And that's the thing you learn as an actor, you have to keep trying. Um, so trying for drama school. So I was kind of giving up on it. And then I gave it one last shot and I got into a college in Wales and then in, I got into Trinity. But th that was when Trinity was, you know, the old course. And it was sort of, um, the funding was going and it seemed a bit like it was on its way out. So I just went to Wales because I thought, I think that's a bit more solid, that course. There was no real other reason than that, apart from maybe a personal choice of like, oh, I kind of want a new experience or live on my own. And that's how that went. Okay, and Killian, for you, what was the decision to, to head over there? Um, <clears throat> I, I suppose uh, the Trinity course had just shut down or closed, stopped, ceased. How many of us um, went through the old Trinity? I know myself and Mr. Kieran went through the old Trinity course. Anybody else go through the old Trinity course? Just the two of us? Okay, sorry, please continue. And... Um, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of like when you're that age, like I was in university, you're young and the world's quite small and if you see someone go ahead of you into the industry and they go a certain route, you kind of think, I might go that certain route and try my hand at that. Uh, so that's what I did. So we, well, I was in UCD and then a lot of people were auditioning for schools and I chanced my arm and I, I got in and it, it was kind of as clumsy as that. Uh, it's, yeah, you just stumbled into it. Interesting, very interesting. I want to talk a bit about the, the process in general, of making a play from an actor's perspective, but also maybe specifically for this production of Major Barbara. Does anyone have, particularly the ladies down the end who are being very quiet so far, does anybody have any favorite parts of the process? Is it the anticipation in advance of an audition? Is it being in a rehearsal room, working out the nuts and bolts? Is it this, the glamour of opening night? Or, or, or kind of just finding new things in a, in a long run like this? What's, what's your favorite part of the process, Liz? We don't want two mics. <laughs> um, the crack after in the pub. The after the rehearsals, that's the best part. Uh, rehearsal's my favorite bit, there's no doubt about that. Why, a lot of actors say that, and I think sometimes maybe audience members are surprised to hear that, yeah. that you would think you would like the applause and adulation, but that it, it can oh. be. Well, that's very nice as well. <laughs> but, but what yeah. is it about the rehearsal room, particularly when you get a director like Annabelle Cummins who's directed this, what is it about yeah. the atmosphere in the rehearsal room that, that you like so much? Well, each director creates a different atmosphere, but you know, really what we do is, is, is we are, we're grown-ups who play a lot, and you get to play in rehearsal, that's where your um, experimentation comes in. Um, where you get to know people that if you haven't worked with them before, that sort of thing. But mainly it's serious play, and uh, that's what acting is, reacting in serious play. Yeah. Anybody down here care to speak about the process? Favourite bits? Chris, you're very quiet in the end. This is uh, for you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Chris McCallum. No. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, am I meant to say, what, what was the question? <laughs> Favourite part of the process for you, Chris? Um, I think the best bit is the period between getting the job and starting the job. <laughs> you have like a week or so and you're just... It's like being rich and uh, without having to do any work. Sorry, that's a rather limited ambition, but... It's the best I can come up with. Well, okay, this is a pretty famous building and a famous institution. I'm, you know, madly in love with this place. My parents, my grandparents met on this stage. My parents met on the Peacock stage. I love this building. For the rest of you guys, what does it mean to be playing in the National Theatre? And I might ask Ms. O'Malley about that, because I know this is your Abbey debut, isn't it, Quiva? It is indeed. So yeah. what does it mean to you to, to be at the National? Um, sorry, I'm really nervous. Um, it's... It's brilliant. It's, 
it's a dream. Um, it's the type of thing that you just think about a lot. Like I've come here when I was in drama school and it's your national theatre. It's, it's a lot of history. A lot of people have gone before. It's kind of like wearing the green jersey for Ireland. And I know that that's such a cliche thing to say, but in terms of an actor, I don't think there's a higher honor. And to be here for the first time with an amazing group of people, it's lovely. <laughs> that's awesome, well played. Um, Mr. McGann, as someone coming over visiting our National Theatre rather than your own over there, what, what, what does it mean to you to be here? And, and how did you come attached to the project in the first place? I'm actually, I, I, feel like, I feel like you did my debut as well. And I feel the same. I feel, I feel a great sense of honour. You know, um, I can't fault the welcome, let me tell you. It's been fantastic. Um, and I'm a, I'm, I was thrilled to get it. Um, and ever since, you know, it's just been, I've had a bore. I know we've got a little while to go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, could all be steadily downhill from here. Yeah, give it time. But no, it's fantastic. I feel it's. I feel very privileged. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think actors are like that, aren't they, Creepy? You know, I think we kind of partly superstitious, and we f we feel a sense of tradition and history. That's just part of it. That's part of you know, the, the way we are. Um, and I feel the same. You know, I feel the same about coming here. I know it's a special one for you, Eno, isn't it? Yeah. Well, tell is, me about it. Is it your debut as well? No, no he's no, been here no. a few times, oh, but yeah. we've, we've spoken about it before. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's huge. I mean, what, you, what was your statistic that you came out with? Oh, this is, okay. Oh, I, I love told Paul this tonight. This brilliant statistic. What is it? The fact of the matter is you are more likely to hold an Olympic gold medal than you are to have ever set foot on the Abbey stage. It's 4,500 Olympic gold medalists and 4,000 Abbey actors. <laughs> so get yourselves down here before you leave. <laughs> I'd still rather an Olympic gold medal, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, as, we're getting, as we're getting close towards the end, uh, who have been, who or what have been the biggest influences in your careers to this point? What, like, what, are, what are the most important lessons you've learned along the way, Mr. Swift? You can say me if you want. <laughs> Well, nearly five years ago, I had the great privilege of uh, working and, I, I don't know, in a way, nurturing the career of a young actor called Angus Og McAnally. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I was a bit of a big shot and I thought, this kid's gonna learn something from me. But actually, <laughs> it was a beautiful, a beautiful relationship blossomed um, and, uh, I think uh, I think I've I've learned a lot from Angus. A, a great taste in Christmas music being the primary. Exactly. Thing. I mean, every Christmas comes around and a, a new CD uh, arrives in the post. And uh, yeah, a shared love of Christmas music actually is more awesome. so more so than any theatrical. Endeavors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks very much. Anyone down this end, Marty? Would you like to talk about influences? Lo loads of things. Um, loads of. Uh, Loads of things, and actors, and uh... <laughs> no need to be specific, Marty. It's fine. Like you know. No, I remember when I was at drama school, and someone asked me to uh, come upstairs, and, and 
and the rest is history. <laughs> and uh, ask me about, you know, we were saying, talking about what your influences are and all the rest of it. And I know everyone else has gone up and said things like Judy Dench and uh, Michael Gambon and all those kind of people. Donald Sinden. And Donald Sinden, yeah, <laughs> huge. But, uh, like, I didn't, I didn't want to be an actor for years and years and years but until I got up and, as a late teenager. So my thing had always been David Attenborough. And that's what I said. That my influence to be an actor was David Attenborough. <laughs> as you've seen tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that go down? Brilliant. Look what I did tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that was all from the trials of life. <laughs> In a documentary style. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Okay, it's two minutes to 11, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round it off with this one because I know there are buses and trains and everything that people need to run for. So talk to me about abiding Abbey memories, whether that's either being on stage up here with someone or actually being even in the audience for someone. What, what are those magical Abbey moments that you guys might have had over the years? Uh, for me, it, sorry, for me it was in um, 1994 when the Abbey brought back production of Observe the Sons of Ulster Marching Towards the Somme because the IRA had just declared a ceasefire and to the opening night, they invited down a lot of Orange Lodges, most of whom had never been south of the border before. So it was the first time, and a lot of them thought they were going to be lampooned, but they came anyway. And they led the standing ovation, and it was uh, uh, an, an absolutely enormous moment for all of us on stage. It was marvellous. That's mine. Wow. That's a nice one. Anyone else care to venture one? Send that down. That's really interesting because that's that production is actually one of my Abbey moments as well. I mean, I was living in Belfast at the time. No, I first I first saw it in the Peacock, and came down from Belfast, um, and I find it intensely moving. And then I was touring, and I was over in London, and the, this is the original company. They were there as well, and we went to Hampstead to see it, a very small little theatre in Hampstead, and it's you know it's quite a middle class audience and. I was furious during the interval. I could hear people saying, well, I don't really know what all the fuss is about. I mean, really, it's just, you know, just soldiers at the war, and I was absolutely furious. But the main abiding memory is that the next year they came up to Belfast, and they did it in the Grand Opera House in Belfast, and I thought, okay, this is my third time seeing this production. I will not cry. I will definitely not cry when they put those sashes on and they go over the top. And I'm sitting in the Opera House in Belfast. I don't know if you know it, but the rows are continuous. I mean, you can't really get out if you're stuck in the middle of a row. And I was two rows behind a man who would have been about the age of my father at the time, you know, in his 80s, the, the Somme generation. And I was fine and I was really enjoying the production. And uh, they put their sashes on and they went over the top. And this elderly gentleman, two rows in front of me, um, was not in that theatre. I don't know where he was, but his sobs filled the entire auditorium. It was quite extraordinary. And I'm only saying that, I mean, it is a powerful play. But you know, what, it's those moments where you go, my God, theatre can do that. It can do absolutely anything. So it's amazing that production is very powerful and it speaks to everybody in this island. But that's just interesting you say that because I've never had that experience before of sitting behind that man and wishing he could get out, but he couldn't. But anyway, he was there. Sorry, anyway, that's, that's just that. That's just amazing, that. that's kind of fantastic. 
Well, we are now officially at a minute past 11, so I actually won't keep either you guys any longer. We can all go and get out of costume, and, and I won't keep you guys either. Just to say um, a massive thank you to you guys for hanging on this evening, to Alan and Dave up on sound, uh, to Lisa Farrelly for organizing tonight, which I really appreciate. There is no way I can let you go without saying that if you want to check out more conversations like this, the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast is available on iTunes or at uh, riseproductionsireland.com. 50, 52 weeks, 52 interviews with the likes of the great Eleanor Methvin, Tara Furlong, who's backstage, our stage manager, and many others. Uh, also, Rise Productions are bringing a show to the Fringe, fringefest.com for tickets, the games people play. i got to put my kids through college. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much for being here tonight. <laughs> Good night, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You'll find many more Abbey Theatre talks available to listen back to along with details of future talks in the series by visiting our website www.abbeytheatre.ie.